0: Hello and welcome to Digital Dialogues, the podcast series brought to you by Citi and the Treasury Today Group. I'm Sophie Jackson, publisher and head of strategic content at the Treasury Today Group. In this fourth episode of our series, we're looking at the issue of trade finance across APAC and taking into consideration the various developments in data and security that run alongside. I was lucky enough to speak with two expert individuals for today's podcast, Professor Kwok Yong Lam of Nanyang Technological University.
1: When all this data are publicized in the blockchain, then people start to think about this is my business. And a large part of my business value proposition is from my trade secret. And if all my trade information are now on the blockchain, will people analyze it and try to figure out my trade secret?
0: And Kanika Kato. Managing Director, Head of Asia Trade at City.
2: So I think the deeper level of engagement and the shared goals is something that is becoming far more prevalent than was there earlier.
0: Firstly, I spoke with Kanika about the latest development in trade finance.
2: It's been an extremely exciting year for us in the trade space, and and a lot of innovative action happening here, but I think top of the list as has been for the last couple of years continues to be the digitization journey for trade. I think one of the things that we are seeing is, is the usage of blockchain as we look at you know, traditional trade, documentary trade. We're seeing that getting a little more commercial than it was last year. And I think that's, that's a huge development coming through this year. The other thing we're seeing is governments and partners such as shipping agents working on digitizing their processes and flows. And if you recall, when we spoke last, we talked about the whole village having to digitize as opposed to one entity. So, you know, we're seeing shippers looking at electronic bills of exchange. We're seeing insurance partners looking at potential electronic solutions. We're looking at government's finding more digital ways to be able to engage with uh, exporters, importers, as well as banks. And, and that has led to a lot of streamlining and a lot of digital innovation at the bank's end as well, and, and, and a lot of process re-engineering and simplification for our clients. So I put that right at the top of the list. And the other thing is, I think the sophistication of supply chain financing solutions from from being more rudimentary, they're now going far deeper. They're going into second and third tiers of supply chains. They're looking at FinTech partnerships, looking at um, last mile integration. So that space is evolving and growing and and, getting into a phase two of of its journey, if if you may. And I think uh, lastly, but not least, I think the, the very increased interest from our clients in ensuring that that whole ecosystem is part of the supply chain solutioning space uh, has been a very, very key development and an ongoing development. And this has even extended to um, sustainability with ESG coming to play a very, very large role today and an increasingly bigger role in the future in terms of how trade can be done for more sustainable um, flows, how trade can help our clients make their suppliers more sustainable and how trade can help our clients Uh, look at future solutions which would add to their own sustainability goals and which would also help banks meet its own sustainability commitments. So I think ESG will continue to be an increasingly large theme as we move through this year. So I think we've Gotten much deeper in our engagement with our clients. So let's let's take ESG as an example, right? If we have to talk to our clients about their supply chain and how to make it more sustainable, we're now talking to their uh, sustainability groups within their organizations. We're working with them on how their sustainability goals are defined, how we can work with them to meet those goals, whether you know those goals are aligned with the way the market is looking at sustainability, etc. So there's a, there are different engagement touch points. There's a deeper and a more um, advanced level of engagement that is coming through. Similarly, with digitization, our our ability to understand the way the client manages its own processes has become far deeper. So we're understanding how they go right through to their back end, how do their ERPs work, what sort of APIs they can work with or not. So, So I think that the deeper level of engagement and the shared goals is something that that is becoming far more prevalent than was there earlier and and co-creation and co-engagement.
0: Then Kanika spoke to me about the collaborative work that City is doing with their clients on co-creation.
2: So one example is again in the sustainability space where we have a fast-moving consumer good client in Asia that was keen to Unlock the sustainability within its own supply chain. And one of the tools that we worked collectively with them was to see if we could get their suppliers to set particular goals of sustainability. And should they achieve those particular goals, then they would get a preferential uh, financing benefit from us as a bank to be able to meet those goals for the client. So we work collectively with them. We got a third party involved to help rate these suppliers and to help set the goals on how the improvement in these ratings would take place. And, and, you know, very pleased to announce that uh, this particular program went live, uh, you know, June, July of this year. And the client is now looking to expand this to more markets beyond the initial pilot and potentially to regions beyond Asia as well. This is one example. And another example in the sustainability space itself is working with a commodity client on their flows with the rice exchange in India. And, you know, how we could uh, work the sustainability angle there and help to have end use space financing, which was priced more preferentially for our client based on the ESG goals that would be achieved. So really a win win both for the client, for us, as well as for the supply chain partners at large and, and hopefully for the environment too.
0: Next up, Kanika and I looked at what's to come this year.
2: So very excited to continue the digitization journey in trade. I think that will be an all-pervasive theme. And I think it's gathering a lot of steam. It's getting to scale. Um, Extremely keen to see the benefits unlocking truly, as opposed to the laying of the rail tracks that has been taking place over the last few years. Very, very excited. And and I'm I'm probably belaboring the whole ESG point, but very, very excited on the contribution that a bank like us can make in that space. And lastly, very, very excited about the sort of solutions that we are able to provide globally, leveraging our network uh, in an environment that continues to be highly uncertain. But if we were to look at specific developments and markets, uh, I would say, you know, Electronic bills of exchange in markets like Singapore are gaining some level of acceptability. We have, again, um, Singapore is an example where the MAS is working on setting up a green registry where we're partnering as well in, in, in co-developing that. You've got markets like India and China where the regulator is playing a very active role in uh, digitization of trade and where you've got fintechs and marketplaces coming up that are also intermediating this as consortiums or conglomerates. And where banks such as us are playing a key partner role. In Singapore, for example, we're, we're one of the investing and, and uh, key members of a blockchain platform called Contour. And uh, that sort of helps to digitize and uh, hasten the whole documentary trade process. We've also partnered in India, for example, with the last mile supply chain onboarding FinTech to help us to be able to get our suppliers on far quicker and, and in a far more seamless fashion. So there's activity and action happening across the board. Um, the larger domestic markets tend to have more action expectedly, but countries like Singapore, Hong Kong, etc., are all really leading the way in terms of innovation.
0: Thank you to Kanika. And next up is our interview with Professor Lam of Nanyang Technological University. He first of all introduces himself and the vast work that he's doing in the areas of data security and computer science.
1: I'm Professor Lam Koyan of uh, the Nanyang Technological University. I'm Professor of Computer Science at the School of Computer Science and Engineering. And concurrently, I am the Director of the Nanyang Technopreneurship Centre, which is a university-level centre offering entrepreneurship education. And at the same time, also a also Director of a Strategic Centre for Research in the Privacy-Preserving Technologies. And I'm also Director of the Smart Nation Research Centre at NTU.
0: First up, he told us about his latest research and their relevance to our corporate audience.
1: The two things. uh, First is, in the last uh, one year or so, we have done more work on the cybersecurity of uh, Internet of Things uh, systems, especially relevance to smart cities or smart nation applications. Because going forward, when we talk about uh, smart cities or smart nation initiatives, we will expect to see a lot of uh, IoT devices sensing the environment, transmit the data to the cloud where the analytics and automated decision-making will be made. So there will be uh, a different types of uh, cybersecurity issues. So we are currently uh, working on the research projects that look at the cybersecurity issues of uh, IoT systems that is relevant to uh, Smart Nation applications. So that's one thing. The other thing we're looking at is... Um, the use of ai for improving the capability of detecting cyber attacks and uh, one of the problem is uh, when we talk about detecting intrusions nowadays because of the network speed we have people are able to get a lot more data when there's so much data inspecting the transaction logs or audit logs or network logs will be overwhelming so the use of AI tools to help improve the productivity of cybersecurity operation is an important area. So this is also an area that we are working on. The third one that is uh, more on the entrepreneurship side, uh, because of some of our previous uh, research on the using AI to do cyber threat intelligence analysis. So we have... Uh, start a kind of university spin-off to look at commercializing the use of these uh, analytic techniques to analyze automatically uh, cyber threat intelligence reports. This is, again, because of the recent trend of uh, encouraging sharing of uh, cyber threat intelligence. So it ended up with, it, it lead to a situation that a lot of organizations are also overwhelmed with cyber threat intelligence reports. So having some type of automated tools to help uh, process and organise and summarise all this uh, cyber threat intelligence report will be an important part of cyber defence.
0: Professor Lam also explored the role of academia within advancing best practice for corporates.
1: In terms of university research, we look at research from different stage or angle according to the stage of the the research. Uh, Usually we have basic research things more theoretical, look at the feasibility. And then we also have applied research to see whether it can be of real world use, can solve real world problems. And then we also have what we call translational research. That's to really translate research results into real world applications. So for that, we are aiming to do proof of concept to show that some of the academic research results can be applied to solve real world problems. And that's the commercialization. We usually look at at least these four stages. Basic research, applied research, translational research, and commercialization. So in our research, and of course we have uh, research projects that is more for um, basic research, also on applied research. But in our situation, we have a research center specifically focused on translational research. So for our research activities, we look for partners, collaborators, who come with a real-world problem that need to be solved with new technologies. So we work with them, trying to understand what is the real-world problem that they are facing, and then we look at how to apply the latest research results to solve the real-world problem. And if it's successful, then we can look at the, the, the commercialization, and that's why we also have this entrepreneurship or technopreneurship center. So through this way of managing the different phases of research activities that can help encourage or move research activities along uh, from the upstream basic research to the downstream applications. And with this, it also make it easier for the industry to understand the nature of our work and identify what could be of use to them. And then we can formulate some collaborations to create real-world projects that can help solve that real-world problem using the latest research results.
0: Professor Lam then explored some of the specificities of the trade finance
1: space. People have been talking about use of blockchain in order to allow the, the different uh, stakeholders of the trade finance or, or, or supply chain to ensure the data integrities or, or to ensure or to eliminate fraud or eliminate fraudulent transactions so that that is the aspect of using blockchain and then in the entire systems apart from the blockchain you have users the users after all are performing their transactions from whether it's a wallet or some client applications and as usual client devices are usually vulnerable to malware or cyber attack and seen from recent reported cases that when the user device like the laptop is being compromised by malware, then fraudulent transactions can be performed on the user device, for example, the wallet. That's why you see cryptocurrency in the wallet being transferred out. So I think some of the latest uh, research could be, for example, use of uh, secure multi-party computations to support uh, wallet transactions uh, so that even if one device is attacked, at least it will not automatically enable the attackers to generate fraudulent transactions because you need multiple devices or multiple parties to authorize the transfer of digital assets. And secondly, when more of these digital assets are recorded in the blockchain, which is supposed to be visible by everyone uh, in order to achieve its so-called immutability, but when all these data are publicized in the blockchain, then people start to think about, this is my business. And a large part of my business value proposition is from my trade secret. And if all my trade information are now on the blockchain, will people analyze it and try to figure out my trade secret? So this part of the protection of the data that is on one hand, need to be on the blockchain for people to, to verify and on the other hand, need to be protected in order to protect the business interests of the stakeholders. This needs to be addressed. So now we are also exploring the use of uh, homomorphic encryptions to protect the data when they are stored into the blockchain. Because it's homomorphic encryption, that means people can still use the encrypted data to do analysis, to do verification. But on the other hand, they cannot see the data.
0: Finally, Professor Lam shares his top things to be aware of for corporates this year.
1: This year, apart from the ongoing thing like the IoT security for smart cities, as well as the use of AI technique for enhancing cybersecurity operations. I think in this year, what we're looking at is the addressing the privacy issues in the face of data analytics. When we are seeing whether it's FinTech or a lot of areas or digital economy initiatives, there are more and more data being gathered and being analyzed in order to make decisions and in the area of digital economy or fintech the data is no longer just a sensing environment it could be gathering people's data so what we are looking at is how to address the security and the privacy aspects when people try to perform analytics for fintech or digital economy so that's a number one. The other is uh, we're also looking at uh, using the latest uh, technique to, let's say, again, relevant related to digital economy is cryptocurrency, virtual assets, or virtualized asset. So when assets is virtualized, the protection of the title of the asset, the protection of the details of the asset could be another important emerging problem that I think we have to focus on. So that's why uh, in this year, our research focus will be on the privacy protections as well as data analytics, as well as uh, the protection or security mechanisms for enhancing protection of cryptocurrency and virtual assets. So these are the two key things and they're all relevant to digital economy. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much to Kanika and to Professor Lam for their time and thank you for listening to this episode of Digital Dialogues brought to you by City and the Treasury Today Group. You can subscribe to our channel to receive updates on the latest episodes wherever you get your podcasts from.